So Lisa, I have been trying to get my home office space together because I am somewhat of a bookworm. Um, Maybe I'm just a book collector. I don't know. Half of them I've actually read cover to cover and half of them are still waiting for me to read. Um, But I was moving some stuff around and I actually found an older book called One Black Year where this couple, an African-American couple, did their darndest to try to only buy from Black owners or people of color for an entire year. And reading what they went through to make that happen, I mean, when there were only maybe two or three Black grocery stores in the entire country at that time, it just really made me think about consumers and how when we even want to support people of color, women, LGBT owners, et cetera, how even the infrastructure may not be there. So I said, you know, maybe this would be a good topic for us to visit, especially in the endurance sports space. I think that's a great topic because as you were talking there, I was thinking to myself, if I only wanted to um, register for races that were run by folks of color or women or folks with disabilities, let's say, I'd have to do my research one, but I'm not thinking of any near me. Um, and that I might be wrong. There's definitely a woman-owned race about an hour and 15 minutes from me, a triathlon, but they're definitely few and far between. And so that would likely require me to travel would be my guess. And so that's a, that's a, a certainly a financial burden that not everyone can do. So it's this, um, it's a little bit of a disconnect between perhaps wanting to live out your values and your ability to do so. So it's a great topic for conversation, I think. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So Lisa, I feel like I'm caught between a rock and a hard place here because when I read uh, One Black Year and then it just jogged my memory when I was moving things around on my shelf. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I'm thinking of a a team member of mine um, in Fast Chicks, of course, uh, who just ran, uh, she just ran her first event as a race director this past summer down in Houston, Texas. And I would love to have a way to support her, to support other uh, people of color, other folks that are in minoritized communities. I would love to support their events, but it's like, do we even have the infrastructure to really be that consumer that wants to support those groups so that they can flourish? And then it won't be as difficult to find those folks in the field and what we do. I, I would love to have an answer to that, but I just need to rethink how I'm consuming things as an endurance mm. sport athlete. You know, it, I think I just yeah. need to reconstruct my thoughts on this. Well, I mean, so for this, so for this couple, they were buying everything from black owned businesses, right? So we're talking mm-hmm. groceries, right. Um, right. like what about gas, gas for their car? Right. Everything, everything possible. So, you know, produce, gas. At the time, they did have a child that was in diapers, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, So all of that, which is pretty tough, you know, and and that's not a thing where your child can wait for you to drive an hour to get to get formula or whatever you might need. You need it like immediately. Um, And so, yeah, they tried everything 
And what I thought was so fascinating about the book was the amount of time that was spent even researching Mm. where vendors were or grocery stores were or bodegas or whatever they were looking for. How difficult pharmacies, how difficult was it to even find? And and it wasn't a matter of money because uh, the couple seemed to be upper middle class. So it wasn't really about money. It was about finding the vendors that they could support. And so, you know, when you go to the one and only um, grocery store that's owned by people of color, but it's really not a full grocery store because it doesn't have produce. It has, uh, if you're a meat eater, um, it has meat, but that meat might not be up to your standards. There, there were so many other things going on in the book. And, you know, when it translates into endurance sport, I'm wondering, and I may be wrong, I'm wondering if we have any infrastructure to support consumers who are mm-hmm. looking to actively looking to support mm-hmm. women of color, LGBT folks, all of those, um, all of those subcultures that are within the endurance sport community. Do we even have the infrastructure to make that easier for the consumers? I don't think so. Um, but I think we need it. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Um, and, you know, and it's possible there's a number of websites that might be out there, but I'm not sure that there's one or an organization that collates all of that information across the endurance sports industry. Um, Because it's not just the race, right? I'm thinking, so what if I want my running shoes to be from a woman owned business or, um, uh, a business owned by folks of color, right? My clothing, clothing, I could probably do fit. I know some, I know some clothing companies um, that have bigger names, but so I've got, okay. So shoes, then socks, clothes, um, the race itself. Um, right. Right. And then, you know, is the race, how, how is the race, um, uh, you know, choosing their vendors? Do they, you know, who's making the medals, who's providing um, the Mm -hmm. food and drink at the aid stations. So Mm -hmm. there's kind of, so even if I were really um, single-mindedly focused on my participation in an endurance sport activity, I can't control all of those factors, right? Because yeah, I could do a woman-owned race, but that woman-owned race they mm-hmm. may not have the same philosophy in terms of supporting small businesses, supporting businesses that are owned by folks of color. And so then they might have like, you know, Gatorade, um, right, actually, right, right. who runs Gatorade, but my guess is mm-hmm. a white dude. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then, right. so does that mean I shouldn't participate in the race? You know, like at what point do you draw that line around aligning your values with kind of these, it's almost like these, um, uh, ripple ripples right in terms of you've got the race in the center and then things ripple out from there yes yeah exactly and given those ripples what i think is really interesting is that if you're running a small uh a small minority owned business is there infrastructure enough to amplify what you're providing because the first thing i thought of we, we've done several episodes um on the olympics this year um i'm thinking about people like no, I don't have the name recognition of Allison Felix, who's selling Seish uh, running right, shoes. Right, right. But I still have a really good product that I would like people to buy into. And there's consumers out there who would if they knew. And so how do we put those two dots closer together where the potential consumer and the minority vendor are closer to each other so that we can continue to support? 
Mm-hmm. I don't think we have a system to get those dots closer together in the endurance sport community. Yeah. There, that's, there's no system. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Um, you know, I'm thinking about when I um, was on the board of a nonprofit, we made an intentional effort to um, contract with payroll or accountants or mm. uh, bookkeepers from small local women owned um, businesses because we were really thinking about well, where are we going to put our money rather the rather than these big national organizations that do payroll let's go local and let's find one for a woman-owned business but it took time and effort to do that right and there was a little bit of a premium for that because smaller businesses um, that are women-owned mm-hmm. or um, owned by folks of color don't necessarily have the same funding and I think we're going to do an episode on on this mm-hmm. from the business side of things but as a consumer, yes you know, not all of us have the time. We have the value, but we don't necessarily have the time to invest. And like you said, if there's mm-hmm. no infrastructure to help connect those dots, then mm-hmm. what do we do? Right, exactly. How do we how do we continue to chip away at this macro level problem in a micro way, right? So, right. so right. for example, you know, I'm thinking about some of the stuff that us, you know, triathletes use pretty often is, for example, try find where, you know, you might be able to find an event in your particular state or a neighboring state, et cetera. You can search by time of year, that type of thing. If we had some type of back end infrastructure method for endurance sport to say, you know, these are trail races that are owned and run by people of color, or these are, you know, cycling events that are owned or run by people of color. There is no infrastructure for this. I do think this is something that really deserves some attention. Um, And I think there's another piece to it too, when we're talking about just consumer behavior, because it's not, I don't think it's right for the consumers to have to build out some type of infrastructure. But until we have that infrastructure in place, as a consumer, what are some things that we need to tick off in our brain as far as, are we making conscious decisions about what we're purchasing, right? So if I go into my favorite store, TJ Maxx right now, and I see that they have my favorite candles that are owned and created by women, then that's a pretty easy purchase because I've done a little bit of research. I've Googled this, that, and the third. And so those are just the candles that I usually buy. What if we did that, continue to do that similarly on a micro level where, look, these are the cycling shorts that really work for me. They come from a woman-owned business or a minority-owned business. So I'm going to continue to be a faithful consumer and also make sure that other people know about it as well. (laughs) And so that we can kind of build this uh, critical mass of folks that are supporting Mm -hmm. until we get more systems in place where we can do it on a macro level. I, I think that would be good. And Lisa, I don't know. I'm just saying this off the top of my head. I'm wondering if it's a way for endurance sport clubs to help with some of that process too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe the the clubs can say, Hey, here's a list of, you know, minority owned businesses either in the area or beyond uh, that support what we do. They may be a great option for you. Now I know we can get picky Mm -hmm. on things like Mm -hmm. cycling shoes and bike shorts and, you know, it, it literally might be a white supremacist that sells the only pair of bike shorts on the planet that really work for me to ride 50 plus miles. And I'm going to have to make some critical decisions because bike shorts are literally that picky. But how do we make decisions more consciously and intentionally? Um, I'm not sure we're doing it intentionally. I, I am guilty of, oh, I'm picking that kit because I love the colors and let's keep it moving. 
Yeah. Eh, if you're in our audience listening to this podcast, yeah, don't do what Shauna did. Let's let's think a little more deeply. <laughs> I have to say, with your white supremacist cycling short example, I, I feel like I couldn't I couldn't do that. I couldn't buy from them. Um, but I imagine that there are people that would because the site you're right, the cycling short is a very key. <laughs> piece of clothing particularly if you're going long right and so then you are, you're faced with that choice um right. your comfort versus mm-hmm. you know doing what's right um and so I think we're all potentially like you said not reflective and not making those critical choices when we buy gear um who we buy gear from and we can do better. I think we can all do better. That's kind of an interesting, cause I bet you, I mean, it sounds extreme, right? But I'm almost right. certain that there are people that hold some interesting um, racist, mm-hmm. sexist, ableist views, but mm-hmm. we just don't know about it. And we're purchasing from them because we're, we're not doing our due diligence. Exactly. Exactly. And then I, I don't want to uh, steal our own thunder for anything upcoming in regards to, you know, the business side of this, but I do think that consumers do hold a bit of power when it comes to what you just mentioned around what if we don't know those vendors stances on things. And we have a, once again, a critical mass of folks who say we want to support you, but we also need to know where you stand about certain things before we can support you. So, you know, for example, if last year when everything happened during the summer and we saw no statement concerning Black Lives Matter, or we saw we saw no statement in regards to our Asian siblings, uh, you know, the violence against those groups. And we never saw any type of stance one way or the other in regards to world events, but yet you still want us to support your business. I gotta think about that because I'm interpreting your silence as an, a company mm-hmm. as if you don't care or you're not aware. And both of those can be dangerous to people like me and people yeah. like you. And yeah. so I, I think, you know, we have a little bit of power when it comes to this too, in regards to forcing the hands of these organizations to say, articulate quite clearly where they stand on certain things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've definitely talked about the power of the purse um, before, and you're making mm-hmm. me think of a John Oliver episode that was either last week or the week before. And he is to- he was talking about the Texas um, anti-choice law that came into effect and kind of efforts to restrict the choices that um, folks who have, who can get pregnant have Mm -hmm. in relation to their pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And he was making the comment that businesses like large businesses, so we're not necessarily talking about small business here, but, you know, Delta or Coca-Cola, you know, came out um, against the restrictions on voting rights that were happening across the country um, quite loudly, right? But they did not Mm -hmm. do um, the same around this Texas law. And I think he, oh, AT&T, because he always makes fun of AT&T, because I think AT&T owns HBO. He said he tried to get them to have a response. And I guess they said something like AT&T has never taken a position on the issue of abortion. And so they don't say anything. Right. But to your point, when you don't say anything, you are taking the side of the oppressor. <laughs> like silence is complicity. And so That's as a it. consumer, yeah, if we're not pushing those vendors to take a stance and then mm-hmm. when they don't saying 
all right, see you later. I'm going to take my business elsewhere. Then we're right. a little bit culpable, right? Um, especially right. if in other contexts, we are espousing our um, social justice, um, mm-hmm. you know, position. And then we essentially we're hypocritical, right? If we then give right. money to an organization that hasn't taken a stance. Well, you you are reminding me of a phrase I hear often um, that people vote with their feet. And I think usually people are saying that as in people vote with their feet when they leave, even if they don't say anything to you, when they take their money elsewhere, they're voting. But if I'm voting with my feet in the other direction, I'm taking my money to you, which means that I still support mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. And so which way are you, what, which way are your feet going? That, that's my big question here. Which way are your feet going? Because that determines how you're voting. That determines whether you're complicit, even in silence. And so, you know, the things that we know when it comes to isms and, you know, systemic oppression of all forms is that there is no neutral. I guess that's where we need to go with this is that there is no neutral because what is considered neutral by someone who's privileged is actually the oppressor and the oppressor's point of view and support of the oppressor. So I think you're right. I think there, you know, we need to be a little more conscious. And so um, I know people now will be like, oh my God, I'm not sure if I can buy those $80 shades to wear on my bike ride. (laughs) You, You can spend your money how you want to, but we're asking you to think through what's going to be the cycle of your money and how is it going to support the values that you articulate are important to you. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, Mm -hmm. I I think that deserves some thought, you know, and then once you find some folks that really support, you know, you've looked at their website or you've, you know, talked with the owner, it's probably a small business. So you probably would have access to those individuals. What have they said that support the same values that you do or Mm -hmm. what have they actively done? You know, it kind of, harkens back to our episode when we were kind of talking about rainbow washing and target and going down to that last little link on the website to see what they're doing as as far as um, corporate social responsibility, big or small, you can be target, you can be Joe Schmo's bike shop on the corner and they can still have some type of articulation of what they support and what they don't. And so what is that? And are we taking the time to find out so that we can align our money accordingly, you know? Yeah. And there's been, you know, I think we can take a leaf out of um, college campuses here because there's been several um, iterations over the years where students have protested and pushed their universities to divest from Mm -hmm. companies and um, organizations where universities are putting their money. I mean, the biggest example that probably folks are going to be familiar with is Nike, right? At a a period of time in the early 2000s, especially Um, There were a number of student um, protests around universities who were using Nike for their their sports and athletic gear. And at the time, Nike was connected to child labor, I believe. And so some universities, I think University of Oregon actually canceled its contract with Nike, right? So there's some that pressure um, does have an impact. And so I think, you know, as an endurance sport community, this is mm-hmm. where the community piece mm-hmm. can be really powerful because That's if right. there is a vendor um, that is either silent or doing some kind of crappy stuff, then you know you can come together as a group in the way that students on a college campus did and you can push them to change. And if they don't change, then you walk away. Absolutely. Absolutely. And <laughs> Lisa, I don't think there's 
any podcast that goes by where we don't talk about some form of resistance, since you talked about higher ed specifically, but, you know, in other arenas as well, I always kind of chuckled inside when I worked with development or folks that were dealing with donors in higher ed institutions, because usually they supported the values that we stated in regards to diversity, equity, and inclusion, but their first point of kind of lack of courage would be that they were afraid that donors were going to pull money out from under the university or out from under certain departments, colleges, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And what happens when that money gets pulled out from under them? What I think is so fascinating, and I wish I were like an expert in donors and nonprofits and so forth. The last two institutions that I've worked at, when it came to major statements about corporate social responsibility, values, Black Lives Matter, the litany of issues, yes, there were folks that pulled their money out because the institutions made a statement, but there was also an influx of funding <laughs> because people agreed yes. with the statement. So yes. just know that, yes, you know, let's be clear. You might lose five bucks, but you might get a hundred bucks from all the other people that are saying, hell yeah, you made a statement. We're glad. So there will be kind of this, um, how can I say it's one hand will not wash the other when it comes to this work. There are going to be folks that disagree with your stance. Some folks will disagree with you making a stance at all. It's like, why do we even have to bring politics into this? Why do we have to bring in politics, religion, personal viewpoints when you have another consumer group that's saying you must articulate this in order for me to support you? And so those two groups won't agree. Who do you plan to, who do you plan to align with? Uh, because I guarantee you there will be some resistance of folks and that's okay. You know, it, if you're afraid of resistance, you should not be in diversity and inclusion work because it's part and parcel. It's daily when it comes to resistance. But how do you plan to respond and handle it? That's that's mm -hmm. really the big thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think we have this responsibility as consumers, which we don't talk about a lot. I mean, we talk about it in generalities, you know, like, well, I'm not going to give my money to that organization because they, you know, supported anti-LGBTIQA legislators or something. Right. But we never really think about it in kind of a systematic way, like how can we organize essentially as an endurance sport community to push um, organizations to do and be better, to do more than just the mm. statement on Instagram, right? We've talked about that before too, in terms of like, yeah. okay, you posted on Instagram, great. Now, what are you going to do? You know, life doesn't mm -hmm. go back to normal. Um, mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. But, you know, I think that's, so we focused a lot on like businesses in terms of that corporate social responsibility and what they need to do and how do they follow through. And we don't talk about the consumer, right? We don't mm -hmm. talk about what is it you and me and our listeners responsibility to push for change. And if that change doesn't come, say, that's it. I love those bike shorts, but I'm not buying them anymore. Right. Exactly. And I'm going to tell you why I'm not buying them. And it's the same with mm -hmm. Ironman. I know we talk about Ironman all the time and there's tons of Ironman right. bands out there. And, you know, like if people continue to complain about Ironman and the inequity um, of the organization in terms of gender, just as one example, but then they mm -hmm. pay $800 to go to a race, like, Nothing's right. gonna change, right? That's until right. until that's the right. walking, the walking away, walking away with your feet. And that's just one example that comes up a lot in this podcast. It's an easy mm -hmm. example, I think. And um, yeah. but there are probably yeah. tons of them, right? So how is we how can mm. we be more critical consumers around that? Mm, absolutely. Well, yeah, we we become complicit in our own demise, right? So we're we're um 
it's, it's kind of like when we say we're voting against our own interests, that's literally what we're doing with a lot of these. I mean, Iron Man, yeah, lots of different yeah. things. And as much as I would love to have that label of being an Iron Man, still, I have to think about what does that mean? And what is that statement? And where is that money going towards? And what does it mean when, yes, you'll willingly take X amount of money for me to participate in your event, but you may not provide X amount of slots for people like me to compete at the highest level. All those things need to be considered. It's it's all a system. And I, I think the challenge as consumers is that we, yes, it is work to do a little bit of this research and it does take a little more time and you can't just, oh, they're cute, I'll buy it. But we have to think about how this is not an isolated event, right? So a, a event that is a box event that takes 800 bucks from you to compete for a day and then doesn't create space for you at other events. You're working against your own demise and it's all connected in this system. So it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like that spider web where you move one part of it and the uh, the rest of it moves as well. All of it's connected, whether we want to think in those systemic ways or not. So, you know, I, I think we just, I, I love your phrase of being more critical consumers because so far we've, I will speak for myself. I've been a lazy consumer in many things mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. until I've seen it play out where there were certain things that people like me weren't able to do or certain things where I'm waiting on a statement about Black people competing in this particular event and it never happens. And so I think we as consumers should hold those organizations accountable, whether it's by our dollar or by our feet. We, we need to figure out how to hold them accountable. You know what I, you just made me think of, which we haven't talked about yet, is that feel-good feeling you get when you buy something, right? So, um, and I mean, uh, yeah. shoot, Iron Man is really good at that. You know, anything is possible, your dream day, think about how you'd feel crossing the finish line, you know, even just gen- generic kind of race, quote unquote, finish time feels, right? Um, so there's a there's an emotion that is evoked in the endurance sport community in terms of purchasing a race entry or purchasing a particular kit or a bike or you know whatever it is in whatever you know sport that you're doing and that is powerful right i mean that's exactly you know that's advertising right but then when that conflicts with your values around social justice and around supporting organizations that match your values, that's really tough. Cause I can even think of times where um, I've had those good feelings about a purchase or wanting to purchase something. And then I found out that the organization or the individual is an asshole. And I'm like, right. God right. damn it. Why do you have, ah, right. And then I'm right. like in that space where I'm like, well, I know the right decision is to not buy the thing. <laughs> but I really want the thing because the thing Look. makes me feel good. Right. And you're just like, exactly. yeah. Ex- yeah. Well, and I mean that, that is look story of my life, Lisa. Okay. Story of my life at this point, because everybody on the planet that knows me and has known me since I started the triathlon journey, started the running journey from being morbidly obese up to now losing 80 pounds, fluctuate all, all those things. Anybody who has ever known me knows that it is a life goal. I don't care if I'm a hundred years old. It is a life goal to be an Iron Man number one and to go to Kona. Everybody on the planet knows that, but I'm still pissed off about everything that's wrong with the brand and the organization, even as I still want to be part of the the 
few um, who identify as such. Um, part of it is just black pride and knowing that there's so few black triathletes at all, much less those that have gone that distance. There's lots of pros in the situation. And then there's like a thousand cons. And so dealing with them all at the same time, you're exactly right. It, I think um, in, in academia, we call this cognitive dissonance here. I think we need a, a word similar to that, but it is, you're right. It evokes an emotion because and I'll, I will speak personally and then other people can weigh in, you know, when they hear this podcast, email us, you know, comment, so forth. You're right, Lisa. It is. And in fact, I think it should be an emotional thing if you've been a person like me who's been morbidly obese at some point in their life and then they get to go down that red carpet. Of course, it's going to be emotional when you might not have been able to walk up a set of stairs at one time in your life and now you've gone you know, an unconscionable number of miles to see this finish line. It's a big deal. Um, I heard another podcast where this uh, woman was saying she had lost her father right before she did her first Ironman. And it was at night when she was coming across the finish. And she said, that was, this is like the closest thing to heaven that you can get. And I, you know, all these things. And I'm like, yeah, it should evoke mm -hmm. an emotion. Um, but it evokes that emotion for those moments what about the everyday lived experience after you've yeah. done it, after yeah. you've gotten the medal, you get a chance to sit down and reflect on what you did. You also get a chance to sit back and reflect on the organization and what it is still doing good, bad, or indifferent in the world and what that means. Is it more impactful for Shauna to say she's an Ironman or is it more impactful to say mm -hmm. I, um, divested my money because I wanted it to go to another foundation that respects the environment and everything as far as trash and foolishness that's left after an endurance sport race like Ironman. Which one is more of a legacy to me? Oh, oh yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. I, it, it is so messy. It is it so is messy. messy. It is messy. I mean, I feel like we could end this with, you know, a little, uh, flippant quip of life is messy and there's contradictions good luck <laughs> good luck with that good luck mm -hmm. with that it's mm -hmm. exactly it just it's so messy I don't have any good answers but it it's a personal conundrum for me I'm imagining that it could and should be a conundrum for others as usual on this podcast we leave you with more questions than answers yeah but yeah. I, I I think it all deserves some thought y'all so the the uh critical Critical consumer, I, I love that, Lisa. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Lisa Ringerfield, co-founder of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. We are really excited to announce that the Outspoken Summit will be returning in 2021. This year has created an opportunity for triathletes to get back in the blocks and start to rebuild triathlon to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for all. Join us from the 12th to the 14th of November as we host a virtual summit to connect with like-minded women, center women's equity in the sport, hear from industry leaders, and develop leadership skills related to our roles in triathlon. The summit will provide a rich forum to develop strong voices, inspire others, and advocate for change in the sport we love. For more information and to sign up for the event, go to OutspokenSummit.com. We hope to see you there. The Unfazed Podcasts and all things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science-backed, trackable action plan on how to live 
age and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash triathlon. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.